we're in Genesis chapter 20. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning and look at the integrity of your heart as uh, just a theme through this chapter. So I'm going to read the first uh, seven verses. I'll pray. We'll go through the whole text uh, in our study this morning. So Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the... How would you like to hear that from the Lord? (laughs) Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die. You, let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name for your blessing over the word. Lord, I prepared some things, but Lord, unless you take and break it fresh and feed us, we're going to go away hungry. So, Lord, we are hungry for you. We want to know you, the only true God. We want to grow in our faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, we want to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We don't, we don't want to only just want to hear. We want to do the thing. And, Lord, I know, for me personally, I believe for many of us, there's just something you're going to point out this morning for us that's important in our lives. I pray, Lord, give us ears to hear. And then to do the thing, do the things that you're, you're sort, of, sort of leading and directing us in. Make it clear, I pray. So the things I prepared, break them fresh now, Lord. Feed us. We're hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the interesting thing here is not only did Abimelech claim integrity of heart, but God confirmed it. So he says, hey, in the integrity of my heart, the innocence of my hands, I've done this. God said, I know it. Verse 6. So Abimelech, his name means my father. It means leader the king. So he is a pagan king of the Philistines who became the Philistines' persistent enemies of Israel. So it's an interesting thing. You know, the thing I find interesting as we go through the Bible, and particularly in Genesis, like Hagar was another interesting person. Amazing person, Hagar. Abimelech is an amazing man, as we'll look at him this morning. So it does not take a Christian to have integrity of heart. Can you hear an amen? It doesn't take being a Christian to have integrity of heart or innocence of hands. In fact, it's Abimelech who rebukes Abraham, not the other way around. So we have this heathen king. And it's Abimelech that is immediate in his repentance when God calls to his attention something that needed to be changed or corrected, and he does it immediately. Not only him, but also all of his people. So Abimelech took to heart what God brought to his attention. He repented and did what was required to make it right and to realign his heart with God. Now that is repentance. That's the integrity of heart. We're all going to need correction. We're all going to need to take to heart something that's said. And often when there's rebuke, it's not easy. But God wants to change our lives. And so there's this, I'll talk about this a little bit. There's this partnership that we have in relationship with God. Like any relationship, it takes two. 
to build it and deepen it. So may God the Holy Spirit help us to do the same. When we're hearing from the Lord, when there's something that needs correcting, we are quick to repent, we're quick to make it right so we can realign ourselves with the heart and will of God. That's integrity. So there are three questions I'm going to ask you this morning, simple question. Number one, are you teachable? Secondly, are you correctable? And third, are you humbled? So we'll, each of the sections there, we'll look at all these three as sort of a banner. Now, you husbands, maybe you're a fiancé or a boyfriend. You're sitting in the car with your wife, and you both observe a young couple making their way to their car. The young man all smiles, opens the door for her. She gets in. He closes the door, walks around, and gets in the other side. And so your wife says, Oh, how sweet. And your response is, are you trying to tell me something? This happened to us just uh, this weekend. We're watching this whole scene, and I said to Charlotte, are you trying to tell me something? Do you want me to open the door for you? The question is, are you teachable? Are you willing? Are you correctable? And really, are you humbled? As we'll see. So, are you teachable? Abraham journeyed from there to the south, verse 1. And dwelt between Kedesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now, Gerar, Gerar was a Philistine city. It was lo- located near the coast in what is now the north-south-central area of Israel, halfway between Kedesh and Geza and Shur and Beersheba. Okay, so that, it's a Philistine city in, is- in the area of Israel. Uh, verse 2, Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So at this point in their journey, Sarah is 90 years old. Now, archaeological discoveries confirm the legendary beauty of Sarah, his wife. So in Genesis chapter 12, she was 65 years old. And as one commentator said, an eye-stopping Mesopotamian knockout at 65 years old. Now, here we are 25 years later. Here's a second Abraham a second time, he's doing the same thing 25 years later, probably for the same reason. He had every reason to be afraid. If it becomes known that he was her husband, they would kill him to take his wife. Now, that's what he assumed. As we'll see with Abimelech, that wasn't the case. So as Abraham journeyed, he's about to be rebuked by God. By, through Abimelech for doing the same thing he had done earlier, 25 years earlier, when Pharaoh, the pagan king of Egypt, rebukes Abraham for doing the same thing. Now, interesting here, I mean, what I'd said is, uh, Abraham, we have a problem. <laughs> so Abraham hadn't learned the lesson. Now, the other thing is, Abraham's son Isaac, the promised seed, would make the same exact mistake in the same exact place with a second Abimelech that many believe was this Abimelech's son. So Abraham hadn't learned his lesson, it seems, or it took him a long time to learn it. And he passed the same flaw unto his son. Now, because Abraham was a repeat offender, listen carefully, he was a repeat offender. That does not mean he wasn't teachable doesn't mean that. Sometimes it takes a few of those around the mountain again 
like God did with the, with the children of Israel in the wilderness. Okay, you didn't get this time. Okay, around the mountain again, around the mountain again for 40 years because they, would, they didn't learn the lesson. And sometimes having a teachable heart is a process that takes a long time in certain areas. But what I don't want to lose sight of is the fact that God is able to teach us. And sometimes we just have to learn the hard way. But hopefully we're teachable. Hopefully we will learn. A teachable heart must needs includes a lot of redos. Now, I could ask everyone to say amen, and I think you would have to say amen to that in some area. Can you say amen? We need redos. The mercy of God is new, how often? Every morning. Praise the Lord. And there are areas in our lives that are difficult. There are areas in our lives you go, I wish it just wasn't like that. I wish I could get past that. I wish that didn't happen every time. And sometimes there's a besetting sin. I come, we have to come back to these questions. Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Are you humble? Because you read in the Bible all the time these, these leaders that would make the same mistake or go the same way of their pride. God didn't stop with his people. He continued to work with them. Now, there are consequences, and they're not easy sometimes to live with, but are you teachable? Are you correctable? Are you humble? It's really what comes to mind again, this whole area of the integrity of your heart. We shouldn't be surprised by what we see because God's not surprised. He's only letting us in on what he already knows about us. It's like playing golf. I was playing with Jim Moore. Now, Jim Moore has played golf since his early years. I just took up golf, and I've since stopped playing golf because I get so frustrated. But Jim Moore takes me out. He's a really good golfer. I've hardly ever golfed at all. And I am so frustrated on the golf course because I can't hit the ball straight. And so finally, Jim just says, you know what? You're just not as good as you think you are. <laughs> he said, and pride is not a good partner in golf. <laughs> He said, you just got to get past yourself and realize you stink at golf. That's kind of the idea. There are just some areas where we just got to get past our pride and say, hold on a second. Am I still teachable? Am I still correctable? Am I still humbled? Now, Abimelech will continue in the narrative. And when we get to the next one, it's Abraham who's rebuking him. So it goes both ways. Can I hear an amen? It goes both ways. Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Are you humble? For example, parents, how often have your children taught you? Somebody chuckled. Bosses, how often have your employees taught you? Are you teachable? Teachers, how often have your students taught you? Leaders, how often have your followers taught you, are you teachable? You see, if you are teachable, then you understand how often? Very often. Because we need to understand we need the input that comes from those who see us operating, see us going about what we're doing. So in verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. What you did isn't right, Abimelech. God speaks to this pagan king through a dream, just like he did Pharaoh 
and Joseph interpreted it. Just like he did Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel interpreted it. Here, God warns Abimelech, you're a dead man, no interpretation needed. Very clear. This is what it means, you're a dead man. Now, maybe there's a little interpretation that's needed here. In that, it seems that this is further clarified. You're a dead man. What does he mean by that? It seems it's further clarified as not to his physical death, though we all die, but in that God would close the wombs of, his, of the women, and so there would be no children to carry on the nation or the family or the, or the dynasty. And we get that in verse 7 and 17 through 18. We'll get that in a moment. So verse 4, but Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation? Also interesting, he's using the exact same basis for his intercession with God as Abraham did. In other words, he knew what justice is. He was basis on the fact that justice is not, he, he did it in the integrity of his heart, the innocence of his hands. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So note, a heathen king is in line with the heart of God. He gets it. He's not trying to shirk it. This guy knew a thing or two about God. He knew that about justice. In this case, Abimelech did what he did according to what he was told by Abraham and Sarah. And it's implied that had he known differently, he would not have done it. That's a man of integrity. He said, had I known it was another man's wife, I wouldn't have done it. That's implied in the passage. So this man had a clear conscience. My question, do you have a clear conscience? Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Are you humble? That's all God's looking for. To cleanse our conscience from dead works. This man had a clear conscience, integrity of heart, innocence of hands. In other words, he would not do what he knew to be wrong. Innocence of hand. Do. He did not do what he knew to be wrong in his conscience. Now, though the Bible is replete with polygamous relationships, this does not mean God condones them. Fornication, adultery, polygamy, not to mention other sexual perversions being bannered in our courtrooms and paraded in the public square, are not and have never been according to God's revealed design and will for marriage. It's one genetic male and one genetic female in ceremoniously united as husband and wife in which God blesses and sanctifies but no other. Tragically, more of the so-called quote-unquote church is twisting these truths to our own destruction. Making a mockery of what God clearly said. Listen, no interpretation needed. Here's the deal. And it's clear. Not even a little. God made it very clear. God help us. A clear conscience requires clarity of what the truth is. What the truth is. Verse 6, and God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. Now notice, for I also withheld you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. So God guided him through the integrity of his heart, a partnership of God. I also, knowing your heart, Abimelech, though God was doing it, Abimelech was not aware of it at the time. But the integrity of his heart 
God partnered in that sense. So he grac- God is graciously present even when we're oblivious to him. But the, that presence of God in backing up our choices in, in, in what we're doing. And he is gracious with that, merciful with that. How he's withheld from us, probably kept us from many things we may not even be aware of. In this case, Abimelech is aware of it. Now, it might be through some inconvenient interruption. We don't even realize it's the hand of God keeping us from something that would be devastating. Now, I've come to believe that it can't possibly be in the presence of a traffic congestion. That's never the Lord as far as I'm concerned. But think about the things that go on in your life. And sometimes you are just frustrated because there's some, some interruptions. Who knows what God's doing? But to be presently aware of him comes through, are you teachable, correctable, and humble? Are you in a place in your heart with a clear conscience where God can begin to minister to you his presence in areas and things that you're doing and clear things up even when you're driving in a traffic congestion? Although I don't know that ever happens there. Okay, verse 7. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. First time we find this word in the Bible. And he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So God is not excusing Abimelech. Note that. He's holding him accountable. Even though he didn't know, now God has let him know. Now, there's more going on here than just adultery. Because... Abraham was promised that through Sarah, your seed shall be called. So it was going to be through Sarah, his wife, that this this lineage leading to the Messiah would be coming, through Isaac. Therefore, God is making it very clear that nothing happened between Sarah and Abimelech. That he preserved the purity of that womb for Isaac. Abimelech makes this known. Again, he's an amazing man. He makes this known publicly to vindicate Sarah. That's nothing happened. So in in conjunction with the integrity of Abimelech, God preserved the purity of Sarah's womb, keeping the promise intact. Isaac will be born in about a year. So a lot going on here. Then God partners with Abraham to pray for Abimelech. So you get the interaction here of this whole idea of integrity. It's God intimately involved in the things that we're thinking, the things that we're doing. And we're hearing him, we're listening to him. Are we teachable? Are we correctable? Are we humble? As we look at what God wants to do and accomplish in and through our lives. Now, this first time the word prophet is used in the Bible. And I thought, you know, even a prophet of God is in need of the correction of God. We all are in need of that. Are we teachable? Are we correctable? Are we humble in the ways that we go about living our lives? You see, there's a character work that God is wanting to accomplish for us in all the things that are going on, all the relationships that we have, all the things that are that, that we're proceeding to go through, God is wanting to do the work of character, godly character. It requires us being teachable, correctable, and humbled. We are in this partnership of God. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now he says, as well, not only in my presence, but in my absence also is what's not there. In other words, obedience is key. It's key. As you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and do of what for his good pleasure. It's this partnership, this, let me put, let me use a different word. It's relationship. It's not happening in the vacuum of religion. It's not helping the vacuum of praying a couple songs and doing a couple. It's in relationship. Deeply in relationship. It is God who works in you both to will and do of his good pleasure. That's what he's wanting to accomplish. And I don't know about you, but I think I got this correct. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And what is he talking about? In John chapter 15, I am the vine, my father's a vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So God is at work pruning our lives, doing things. Are we teachable? Are we correctable? Are we humble? It's through that process. And read John 15. It's relationship. <laughs> and it can be no other because God is a relationship God. He's not some idol that we're sort of making our obeisance to. He's a relationship God, and the reason is because he's a trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he wants us to enter into that relationship with him, and it's him who's working in us. As we understand these things, am I teachable? And may, may I just say, I hope that you'll take to heart today. I feel like for me personally, I think for us, the Lord say, really the first one, are you teachable? Are you open to learning? Are you open to listening? Am I open to learning? Am I open to listening? To learn things and see things and think things through that may be outside of what I'm comfortable with even many times. I think it's tragic that we can't talk about things doctrinally because we have different opinions on them. Now, there are cardinal doctrines by which we cannot deviate. But there are many things about which we should be able to have conversations because as iron sharpens iron, so does one man's countenance sharpens another. There's things that we differ on, things we, and there's, there are so many things that are so exciting when you can begin to talk about, yeah, I don't, but tell me what you're thinking. And I, I just go, are you teachable? And it seems like the older we get, the more crusty we get. Can you hear an amen? <laughs> the older the years go by, oh, I got that one figured out. Been there, done that. Well, hold on a second. We're talking eternal truths. We're talking eternal life. We're talking not about some static thing. We're talking about life, living life. What's in the head? You know, and so as I'm, I'm going off on a trend, I hope you don't mind my little tangent here. But I've been reading a lot and studying a lot on the kingdom of God. Jesus coming back. And my mind is being blown by what God said he's going to be doing. And the thing that really manifests itself in my heart lately is... God's going to be doing supernatural things that there's no way we can do them. I said, so what's the problem with that? I got no problem with that. Go for it, God. But would you go for it in my life? Do the supernatural things in my life. And I do believe that there needs to be a teachable, correctable, humble attitude so God can speak to us and we begin to learn things and hear things and see things and do things that are totally different than we used to do because now we see it differently. Now we've learned something. That's not to say, okay, now I got that one, I'm moving on to the next. No, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. It's just like marriage. Marriage is not static if it's a relationship. And you've been married, we've been married 34 years now. 
How long have you been married? And, you know, you look back on 34 years and say, you know, I would have never guessed that this is what it would be like. But I love what it's like. But it's not, oh, well, stars, <laughs> I'm, I'm on this big tangent. I better be careful here. <laughs> when I first met Charlotte, I mean, this is our first conversation. I'm working in my, my cabinet shop. She's in the office. I go in. And so somehow or other, we got talking about relationships. And I said, I think that stars and butterflies are really important. You know what stars and butterflies are? You see, woo. It's not that she doesn't feel they're important, but this whole conversation is, you'll never build a marriage on stars and butterflies. I said, are you kidding me? And we had this whole conversation. Well, what's happened is, over the course of 33 years, two years in courting and all that, we understand together what that means for us. It's relationship. Yeah, there are stars in butterflies, but there's also grounded in just, you got to live life. You got to keep going. You got to do things. And emotionally, how you feel may not be at all what you should be doing. Can I hear an amen? All the married people, hear an amen? It needs to be louder. Amen? It requires choice. Am I teachable? Am I correctable? Am I humbled? I'll tell you one of the most humbling things is that someone like Charlotte would stick it out with me for 35 years. Amen? You got to say amen again. <laughs> I mean, because as you get to know each other in the relational things, am I teachable? Am I correct? Am I humble? If there's not teachability, if there's not correctability, if there's not humility, you can forget it as far as relationship. It's just going to be this. And it's no different with God. No different. Integrity means purity, wholeness, blameless. Innocence means not tainted. It means not cunning, not corrupted. So what we have in the purity and wholeness of our hearts is communicated in the purity and the cleanness and the no-taintedness of what we do. God calls us out to live our lives with integrity and innocence. And so in verse 8, Abimelech rose early in the morning. Are you correctable? Called all his servants, told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very afraid. So he basically says, I'm on it. I'm going to do this right now. He calls himself and his people and Abraham to accountability. Are you correctable? Abimelech had, listen, this is fantastic. He's an amazing man. He had the respect of the people that he led. They all shared his deep concern to make things right. They were afraid. They responded fearfully but decisively to the warnings that Abimelech said, this is what God said. We got to get this right. In Jesus' day, those religious leaders called everyone but themselves into account. And Jesus comes along and calls them into account, and they hated them for it, and they killed him because of it. Because there was no teachability, there was no correctability, it was full of pride. A person is only accountable as he or she is to God. That's where it begins. That's the fountain of all of it. Verse 8 9, And Abimelech called Abraham, 
said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? He's rebuking Abraham, calling him to account. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. So this rebuke is well-deserved for Abraham. There are times when we deserve it too. Let us never think ourselves above rebuke or correction. Can, would you prayerfully amen that? Only spiritual pride will think otherwise. He's saying, what did I ever do to you? In fact, he was very kind and generous with, Ab- with, with Abraham. What have you done to cause us to sin? It's inexcusable. Why have you done this? Abimelech could call out Abraham because he first called out himself and his people. And that's where it starts. It's with myself. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did, you have in, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? What was going on in your mind, Abraham? You see, the fantastic truth here is Abimelech, that's not what was going on in his mind. Now, rebukes many times are God's stronger means by which to correct us. And they aren't fun. But the fountain of understanding and wisdom and prudence, the building blocks of integrity of heart and innocence of hands are God correcting us when we're wrong. He calls us out to live our lives in integrity and innocence. Woven throughout the Proverbs is God calling us out to listen, 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 and change the direction. Proverbs 1, just to set the stage for the Proverbs themselves. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. You'll find these words throughout Proverbs. To receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. And often in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. What's the fear of the Lord? Well, someone looked up the word fear and went through all the, all the you know, uh, what it means. You know what it means? Fear God. <laughs> Be afraid of God. But it also means reverence, worship. So the fear of the Lord. In other words, relationship with God is the beginning of all of it. So, Proverbs 1.20, here it is. Wisdom calls out outside. She raises her voice in the open square. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I have called you. I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand. No one regarded because you disdained all my counsel would have none of my rebuke. Proverbs 9. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. And he rebukes a wicked man, only harms himself. Now, a scoffer is one who disdains other things as being despicable. Do not correct a scoffer lest, you hate, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 15. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul. But he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 17.10. 
Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Proverbs 25. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and set into silver. Now we hear that often, but listen, look what it says. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. Are we teachable? Are we correctable? Are we humble? Jesus to the church in Laodicea said this. Do we have that one up there, Revelation? There we go. As many as I love, what's the word? I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking to the church. In other words, the door to God is open from the inside. I'm knocking. I want to have fellowship with you. But here's the need to hear the rebuke, to understand I love you as much as I love. I rebuke and chasten. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what's that? Am I teachable? Am I correctable? Am I humble? I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Relationship. So, again, I believe for us this morning, what the Lord will say, are we teachable? Are we correctable? Are we humble in what God is wanting to do in relationship with us? And many times, all the lessons we're learning from the Bible even, but even in the world, we're surrounded in the world by heathen, pagan, non-believers. That's who God has in our lives to teach us what it means to be teachable. To correct us in what it means to be correctable. It's in the world and the spheres of influence in which we live. So verse 11. Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will kill me on account, on account of my wife. So there are hindrances to being correctable. The first one here says, having thought. Now how many of you, I thought that through already. Having thought. Well, when that happens, what happens when you thought wrong? Oh, I said, because I thought, surely. My boss used to tell me, that's what you get for thinking. <laughs> or, you aren't getting paid to think. Now, that's not what God's saying, but having thought, so think again. Just because they don't know God doesn't mean that it's all bad. I thought because he's not... You know, he's going to kill me. Think again. It's not, that they don't, it's not that they don't know God. The fact is, it's because you do know God. And so the fear of the Lord should be what's directing, not fear of man. Think again. Think again. It's not as being afraid of a person or a situation, but fearing God. Think again. Because there's so many things Having thought, and we, we surmise, we assume many things often, and it, gets us, it can get us in trouble. Search it out. Make it right. Go to James chapter uh, 1, verse, couple down. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all liberty without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. James 3.16 for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion, every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first peaceable, pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Now the fruit of righteousness, thank you, is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's he saying there, verse 18? He's saying it's a process. 
You sow, you sow, you sow. It's a process. And it begins to bear fruit. The question is, am I teachable? Am I getting the wisdom that's from above that I need? Verse 12 in Genesis. But indeed, she truly is my sister, and she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So the, the first hindrance is having thought. I say, let's think again. The second hindrance is half-truths. Half-truths. His half-truths are a means of trying to make himself less wrong. Well, hold on a second. Let me tell you. She is. And that was half true. It's a safe face thing that can get us again in trouble from being teachable and correctable and humble. Abraham conceived the thing and so did Sarah. They knew what was going on here. Again, half-truths can be a means of trying to skirt teachability, correctability, and humility. The, the final one in verse 13 it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is, your, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. So he's saying, this is what I told Sarah, and we agreed to do this. The third one is it's not just having thought. It's not just half-truths, but it's hard times. Hard times. Now, this word that he uses, wander, 50 times, it's speaking of something negatively. It means to stumble or err. So he's saying, God caused me to stumble. Now, that's a subtle thing that happens. Oh, this is God's fault. Now, we wouldn't blatantly say that because we know differently. But he's saying, God caused me to stumble. God caused me to Hard times. It speaks of this word, a drunken stupor, not knowing where one is going. So God caused me to wander. Having thought, half-truths, hard times, are all temptations that will hinder integrity of heart and innocence of hands. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptations overtake you except such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but, no, not notice this says, but with the temptation, not instead of, with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear. We went over this, this passage last week. The question when I'm faced with these things, am I teachable at this moment? Am I correctable at this moment, this situation? Am I humbled because of it? And so finally, are you humbled? Verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases. So again, he's an amazing man. He's sensitive, first of all, to what's right and wrong. He's willing to let bygones be bygones. He's willing to reconcile and restore and move on. See, this is all the fruit of being teachable and correctable and humble. See, he's saying, why did you do all these things to me? But then he says, hey, live with us. I'm going to let all that go. You know, Abimelech is a king. You would want to be your king. Abimelech is a leader. You would want to be your leader. Abimelech is a friend. You'd want to be your friend because he was, had integrity of heart. 
and he's willing to reconcile, let things go. Then, he's, then to Sarah he said, verse uh, 16, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus, she was rebuked. This gentle yet firm clarity to Sarah. He said, I'm going to vouch for your integrity. I'm going to let everyone know nothing happened. He says, he says, look, I'm going to give your brother. Now, in saying your brother, he's also accepting the half-truth. I mean, there's so many things in here. He's saying, okay, I'm going to say to your brother, I've given your brother. Okay, he is your brother. I get that. And so he's acknowledging those things. He's receiving those things. He said, okay, these are the things, but we're going to move on. And in doing so, he vindicated Sarah. He made sure that her innocence would be in the eyes of all the people of, that he led, that she's innocent. Clear her of even a shadow of suspicion. He was wronged, but, in, but he does everything in his power to make it right. That's integrity. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans chapter 12, and we'll close here. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. You're, you're transferring the heat, if you will. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Are you teachable? Are you correctable? Are you humbled?